You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Tough one for them tonight as the Predators win by a final score of 4-2. to two. Not an ideal way for the win streak to come to an end for the Calgary Flames. They fall 4-2 at the hands of the Nashville Predators and now begin what could be a season-deciding portion of their schedule. Welcome into Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you. We are out of the studio today. We're usually in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for our good friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. That's where my outstanding producers Cam and Taylor are this afternoon. I am at Adrenaline Source for Sports with our friends at 9309 McLeod Trail South telling you about their massive Black Friday sales event, which is on now. Tell you more about that coming up in just a little bit. But yes, the Flames fall last night to the Nashville Predators. Now, two games left on this road trip. Tough back to back with Dallas and Colorado. We'll take you back to last night coming up in just a few moments here from head coach Ryan Huska, among others, for their thoughts on a disappointing effort in Nashville. 4 2 the final, but not sure the Flames ever brought their best against the Predators. So lots of Flames coverage coming up for you. Also on the program today, we'll hear from Adnan Verk. How about those rumors circling out of Toronto that Bo Bichette and the Jays, maybe not long-term partners. After last year, you would have thought maybe that conversation would have circulated around Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We'll dive into it with Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast joining us on Thursdays like he always does. Get his thoughts on that. Also, our pal Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. He was on the desk last night, part of the 14 NHL games on the schedule. Let's get his thoughts. Tough loss for the Oilers in Carolina. He watched the Flames game as well, so lots to get to with Cause. As we uh, roll on the program today, quick reminder, the fan feedback line is open to you. 960-960, shoot us a text. Thoughts on the Flames' loss last night. We will talk about that play by Philip Forsberg that had Flames' Twitter a buzz last night. Hand pass, no hand pass. Did he cover the puck with his glove? Is it a hockey play? Send in your thoughts, 960-960. Again, my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, along with me this afternoon. There in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. The Flames falling 4-2 for the first loss on this four-game road trip, but the third straight victory for the Nashville Predators, who started the scoring early last night, 2.33 in. Colton Sissons able to take advantage uh, of an opportunity in the offensive zone, and it kind of set the tone for what was a frustrating night for the Calgary Flames, where... We saw a couple of lineup changes. Connor Zary was out. He's banged up right now, dealing with a couple of injuries. So we saw Adam Ruzicka come back into the lineup. We saw Dylan Dubé move to that line with Kadri and Pospisil. 
but it just never seemed for the Calgary Flames to find their footing. And another lethargic effort on the power play has many wondering what exactly this group needs to do to get their power play moving in a positive direction. Uh, I know Pat was talking about it with a couple callers on Flamestock post-game show last night, and the focus has kind of shifted from, you know, at first it was Kirk Muller. A lot of people were wondering, okay, maybe it's Mark Savard the guy, and now a lot of it's just wondering about whether this personnel group is the one that can get it done for the Calgary Flames. It was, it's gone from bad to to negative for this group, and what I mean by that is. It, it was a it was a pro, it's a problem when you're not scoring on the power play. That's that's a basic statement for any team. It's even worse when your power play starts draining the momentum out of your group. They look less dangerous on the power play right now than they do at five on five. I don't know how that's possible. There are skilled players on this team. There are good players on this team that should excel in that sort of scenario but they just can't execute the zone entries are sloppy the movement is slow and this goes back to a couple of games ago against the new york islanders on saturday they struggled on the power play and i asked ryan huska post game what's going on with your power play he said it's slow there's got to be some puck movement we got to get it going that was saturday we're two games past that already and I don't know about you guys listening, but I haven't seen any sort of improvement on that yet. And uh, it's getting to the point where you, you can't decline the power play in the NHL. But uh, if you wanted to talk about Ryan Huska sending a message or somebody on that group right now, um, you know, taking a, a couple of shifts off from the power play and giving it to some of the quote-unquote bottom six guys to give them an opportunity, I'd be all for it. It's it's depressing to watch that group go out right now, and there's no reason for it. It is draining the life out of their offense, and it's just not good enough. Uh, some of your texts at 960-960. Fan feedback line is open to you. you want to talk about the Flames' power play? You want to talk about that pass? Uh, from Philip Forsberg that led to a goal. We can dump, uh, we can dive into all of that. We'll hear from a couple members of the Calgary Flames post game uh, in a few moments as well. Uh, this text coming in from uh, I, b- I believe that's a former 960 something on the beat Azam some like uh, some weird segment in the morning. Uh, this guy texting in, "Hi Logan, can you buy me some new skates, please?" Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you got a new job now. You're a big boy. You can buy your own skates. Uh, this text says, Rosie and Dewar need to go down to the A. Adam Ruzichka is eternally the most frustrating player with this team because we have the early part of the season where he flashes this, this great top six potential, and we've talked about it forever with him, the consistency to maintain it for long periods of time, just never there. And when he goes off of his game, he goes all the way off of his game to the point where he is a non-factor in the game, and that's the kind of Adam Ruzicko we're getting right now. The Walker Dewar one's been really interesting to me because after being healthy scratched, if there was a guy I was expecting to be shot out of a cannon for this group, hitting everything that moved, really pushing the play with the forecheck, using his speed, all that sort of things, 
I would have guessed it would have been Walker Dewar. Would have been the first guy that came to mind after a healthy scratch. Um, but, yeah, to that Texter's point, I really haven't been all that impressed with him since he's come back from being a healthy scratch. Uh, Shubes texting in our pal, uh, saying, played and watched hockey my whole life. Granted, as a goalie, uh, I think it's a good hockey. I think it's good hockey to play. Uh, to me, it's more how long the puck is in the hand rather than the closing hand on the puck. Classic NHL don't exactly know the rule. And Shubes is talking about that, uh, play with Philip Forsberg behind the net that the Calgary Flames challenged for, um, a missed stoppage. Um, now by the letter of the rule, the Flames were challenging a hand pass. The hand pass only operates if the puck goes from a player's hand to a teammate's stick. And if you were watching last night, you probably saw the replay that saw Mackenzie Weger swipe at the puck and move it forward onto Philip Forsberg's stick. So at that point, by my understanding and by the NHL's explanation of it, that's when the hand pass ends. But if you wanted to have a conversation about is that a hockey play? Does he close his hand on the puck while he's grabbing it to throw it? I, I couldn't argue with you. I well, I might not. <laughs> I might not um, be able to fully prove on the replay that he did it. If you wanted to have that conversation, that um, it at least looked like he did it, and. Um, there's a conversation to be had about that. I, I would be with you on that. It's it, it's a very wonky play. I mean, I, I don't know where Forsberg even got the idea that he was just going to toss it back out front and hope that something happened. I mean, it worked out for him, um, but I would guess like 99 out of 100 times that doesn't happen like that. I don't know. It's, it's a very strange play. If you were frustrated by it, I get it, but as far as the like the technicality of it being a hand pass, it, it was neutralized once. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, once uh, at a, a Mackenzie Weger got his stick on it. So uh, you can continue to send your text in at nine six zero nine six zero. We'll have more uh, on the Flames and that conversation coming up in just a little bit. But wanted to send you back to last night. Let's hear from a couple members of the Calgary Flames, starting with the head coach uh, Ryan Huska, was hit with his thoughts post-game following a 4-2 loss to Nashville that ended the Calgary Flames point streak at four games. Ryan, just maybe your, uh, your viewpoint on tonight's hockey game. Um, I thought we were slow and sloppy. That's the best way I could probably put it for the entire night. Any moments where that seemed to shift at all or was it pretty consistent? Pretty, pretty consistent. Yeah. Is that more with something they're doing or we're all kind of internal? Um, I, I thought they skated tonight, for okay. sure. They did, and I thought they were more competitive than we were, so... <laughs> Whether it was them or if it was our inability to do that stuff, it's, it's probably a combination of both. Did you get the sense that a guy like Gilbert was trying to drag you guys into the fight? Oh, sure. I mean, um, he's, he's been out of the lineup for a bit, and that's the type of defenseman he is. And um, Good on him for coming in and doing what he did. And I thought he's probably our best defenseman when you really look at the six as a whole tonight. So he did a really good job coming in like that and um, trying to get a little of emotion, emotion and engagement in the game. Is the, the throwing stick at the end almost symbolic of the frustration that was clearly being felt on that bench? Yeah, I, I don't. They they know they didn't play well. Um, so do we. But you know, there's there's little times in the games where you, you know you don't have to do stuff like that either. I, I get it, but you don't have to do it. Yeah. 
And Noah talked about um, you know what those yeah. moments as you just described with Dennis, but um, you know sees Orb stepping up for a yeah. teammate too. I mean, what does that mean to the group? Yeah, it's it's important for sure. I mean, that's your your teammates, and you're always competing with the guy beside you. Um, when you have guys that stand up for each other, it makes you feel that much better on the ice all the time. So it's something that we want our players to be like, for sure. It's the same around our net. We want guys to be hard in front of our net so our goalies don't get bumped or touched. All that stuff matters at the end of the day. Didn't come into play or help us the way we would have liked to have seen it tonight, but that stuff matters. Does this feel like a missed opportunity? You probably talked to them before the game about getting to 500 with a win tonight. Well, it missed opportunity for sure. It's just the, the, the more disappointing is the way we played tonight, Eric. I think that was the the part that they're probably not happy with and we're not happy with. Yeah. And it's a little out of character because you, you have been playing well up to yeah, we have been. late. Um, so it was a step back tonight, but now it's uh, it's it's how you respond a lot of times, right? We talked about that a lot this year, so it's time to respond. There you go, Flames head coach Ryan Huska following last night's loss to the Nashville Predators. And, yeah, look, uh, the question about Dennis Gilbert was an interesting one because I would have liked to have seen some of his other teammates with that same sort of emotion. I mean, I read that text earlier uh, about Walker Dewar. And I'm not saying you have to get in a fight, but that emotion level, that compete level, just not there from enough members of the Calgary Flames last night. Uh, some of your texts at 960-960. This text says, thank God the Flames didn't hire Savard as the head coach, which he thought he deserved. This power play is brutal. Uh, Mick says, Ruzicka would look good beside McDavid or Dreisaitl. Vladar and Ruzicka for Dylan Holloway. Uh, Lars says, uh, I thought Savard was supposed to be the savior of the power play. Uh, This text, uh, going back to the conversation about Philip Forsberg in that play, uh, this one says, how can you not even place your hands over a puck on the ice without getting a penalty? You can just grab the puck and toss it. Uh, Mark in Country Hills wants to know, is there any correlation between Sutter and Dewar? It's the only thing different I see this year. Uh, yeah, Walker, I don't know what... Uh, Walker Dewar started the season off like Walker Dewar. It just hasn't maintained at all this season, which has been very strange for a guy that's super consistent. Uh, this one says, would it count if he threw it in the net? Uh, would it not count if he bounced it off the goalie's back and in the net? The hand pass should be called on the pass, not the success of getting it to a teammate. Uh, Mike in Okotoke says, Flames aren't successful doing the drop-back pass. Zone entry on the power play. The dump and crash seems more successful and keeps the momentum going. Uh, this one says, this wasn't a ho- that wasn't a hockey play. He obviously tried to throw the puck over the net and bat it in. When he missed, Uyghur touched the puck and he scored. The missed call wasn't the hand pass. It was closing your hand on the puck. You can't stand behind the net and throw the puck over the net and then come around and try to alley-oop the puck. We need Father Pat out there refing that one, that one from Coleman. And uh, this text says, re-sign Zadorov as soon as as you can. Let's head back to the Flames locker room from last night. Let's hear from defenseman Noah Hannafin. He also spoke following the loss to Nashville. Yeah, I think Chris just kind of laid it out, but um, you know, maybe just kind of your your thoughts on how tonight went. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't obviously our, our best game by any means. You know, I didn't think, uh, I don't think we had a, a great start, and then it kind of carried over into the second, and um, just I think on both sides of the puck, we, we were a little sloppy and disconnected uh, tonight, which is something uh, we've been pretty good at as of late, so I think this is a uh, 
obviously a game you just got to you know learn from a little bit, take tomorrow, and then get ready for, for two big games coming up. And Chris mentioned just yeah that you know not being connected really slowed the game down for you guys. Is that fair that you felt slower tonight? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, just our transition game. You know, when we're fast in the neutral zone. That's when we're we're dangerous. We get a four check going, get some mm-hmm. ozone time. I think tonight we were just. Uh, just a little slow with it, you know. The D weren't really too good in our gaps tonight, and I think our forwards were just a little stretched out, and you know we just uh, weren't playing our game. So it's uh, uh, that's the result. Nice to see the boys stepping up for one another with the physicality and the fighting. Absolutely, I mean that's you, just a big part of it. Whether you're you're winning or losing games, you know that, that's stuff that matters and goes a long way. When you see guys like Z and, and Gibby, you know, stepping up to the plate and answering the bell, you know that's uh, that's good for the morale of the team, and, and uh, you know that's something that was uh, definitely noticed by us tonight. What about, uh, you know, I, I know it's still hard to look at the goaltender, but Jacob, you know, obviously was pretty sensational back there. What did you make of just what he gave you through here tonight? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's been a stud for us this year so far, and uh, tonight's an example where he, he played really good, but we got to be a lot better in front of him, and, and uh, he's doing it. And, you know, when you get goaltending like that, you know, we got to be better and, and uh, you know, create some more chances and give up a little bit less grade-A chances. So, um, you know, Marky's been great for us all year. Does it feel like a missed opportunity given – how hard the schedule also gets, but also you could have got to 500. I mean, yeah, I mean, that was definitely a, a goal for us tonight coming into this game. We knew where we were at, and, um, you know, I think it's just one game at a time. You know, we know we got a, a tough schedule here coming up with some good teams, but it's just one at a time. You know, take tomorrow, reset a little bit, you know, look at what we did wrong tonight, get better at it, and uh, go out and have a big game against Dallas. So that's all we can really control. There you go, Flames defenseman Noah Hannafin. Flames fall 4-2 at the hands of the National Predators last night. Next up, Tough back-to-back. They're into Dallas on Friday, following that up with a Saturday night matchup with the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, lots to get to around the sporting world. We'll dive more into the Calgary Flames uh, and your text more this afternoon, but uh, it is American Thanksgiving uh, south of the border, so any of our American friends uh, listening are now here in Calgary. Let's celebrate Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, it also means we've got NFL football all day long. I can tell you uh, they've wrapped up in Detroit where the Packers walk into uh, Detroit and upset the Lions 29-22 this afternoon. Green Bay puts up 20 points, three touchdowns, uh, one defensive touchdown in the first quarter, and they upset Detroit. Uh, Jordan Love throws for three touchdown passes. Detroit has now lost seven straight on Thanksgiving. Still to come uh, in about 10 minutes' time, they'll kick off in Dallas. It's the Cowboys and the Commanders. And your Thursday night matchup tonight on American Thanksgiving, it's the 49ers and the Seahawks. Uh, Some other NHL stories to watch for. The Toronto Maple Leafs have placed John Klingberg on LTIR. Frank Cervelli, our NHL insider, uh, tweeting out a little bit earlier that uh, there's some worry out of Toronto that Klingberg's season may be done. Um, We're going to try to figure out if it's going to take more rehab or it's going to be a surgery thing. But either way, he's been placed on LTIR and is not going to be with the club uh, for the foreseeable future. And uh, also some interesting stuff out of Chicago today. Uh, Corey Perry, um, not at Blackhawks practice for what they're calling an organizational decision. Uh, Haven't heard that one before. Heard a lot of terms around here, but organizational decisions a new one. Uh, Luke Richardson, their head coach, asked about it post-game, uh, post-practice, excuse me, was not getting into it. So uh, I can't tell you anything if it's trade-related, if it's uh, punishment. for I have no idea, but uh, a lot of people wondering what exactly is going on in Chicago after they found out uh, Taylor Hall is going to miss the rest of the season with a knee injury. Uh, another one of their veterans 
uh, in Chicago, not present at practice today. This just coming down uh, the pipe as well from the Calgary Stampeders. A huge re-signing to start their offseason. James Vauder's defensive end has inked a two-year contract extension, which will keep him with the team through 2025. That's great news for the Red and White, who sincerely missed James Vauder's uh, on the defensive side of things uh, after he went down with an injury last season. So Vauder's back with the Stampeders for the next two seasons. We are here at Adrenaline Source for Sports on this Thursday, getting you set for their Black Friday sales event. Adrenaline's adjusted their hours. They're opening one hour earlier at 9 a.m. tomorrow, but there's some great deals today already. Starting today, don't miss out 25% off apparel brands Saks and Stance, up to 25% off select Yeti items. There's 30% off Pit Viper sunglasses and 30% off Sherwood products. Excuse me, 25% off Sherwood products. Uh, make sure you keep an eye on their Instagram feed uh, for updates tomorrow, but know that there's going to be deals up to 50% off some of their hockey brands. They're going to have great savings on all categories, sticks, hockey protective gear, and baseball. You're not going to be disappointed. And the first in line at Adrenaline tomorrow, they're giving away $3,200 in gift certificates to the first 55 people through the door. That's going to be one per family, and the first 15 people will receive $100. That's uh, for the doors opening at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Adrenaline Source for Sports, the official retail partner of Hockey Calgary. I'll tell you more about the great deals they've got in store. I was walking around earlier with our uh, Azam checking out some of the deals here. I'll tell you what I saw. Uh, I'm not getting skates for Alex Brody, but I can tell you about some of the other great deals that they have here at Adrenaline Source for Sports. But next, we'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We're going to switch things over to the baseball conversation. Some interesting rumors out of Toronto about the future of Bo Bichette and the Toronto Blue Jays. Our pal Adnan Virch going to break that down with us next here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right, continuing this hour here on Sportsnet today, it's Logan Gordon along with you. We're here at 9309 McLeod Trail South, getting you set for a general source for sports. Massive Black Friday sales event. I'll tell you more about that as the afternoon rolls on. It is American Thanksgiving. Flames fell to the Predators last night. Lots going on around the sports world, including some baseball news out of Toronto that's got people around the Blue Jays buzzing. We'll get to that coming up in just a few moments with our next guest because it's a Thursday, and just because it's American Thanksgiving, he doesn't forget about his Canadian friends uh, going down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline to say hello to the one and only Adnan Verk this afternoon. A.V., how are you, pal? I'm great, Logo. How are you, my man? Uh, happy American Thanksgiving, which, as we know, for Canadians, is the wrong Thanksgiving. Our Thanksgiving is better taking place in October, welcoming the harvest, not uh, focusing on the pilgrims and what they did so many years ago. So our Thanksgiving is better. But I always say that the U.S. Thanksgiving is great because we get football. I remember as a kid growing up in eastern Ontario, I'd go to school. I'd come home. i go, great. i could watch the fourth quarter of the Lions normally losing and i said this year will be something different the lines are eight and two the one game back of my beloved eagles coming off an incredible win against the chiefs i can finally lock in and watch detroit as all of america will be doing trying to avoid their families and trying to watch some football and instead same old lions they drop another turkey on thanksgiving as they fall flat against the packers same old motown seven years in a row i believe i saw that they've dropped this thanksgiving game uh, some things just never changed with detroit yeah, it's awful. I was like, I, I've been so suspicious and so skeptical because I'm like, I haven't watched 
any of their games. So I can't really speak to it. But if you just tell me Jared Goff is going to be a quarterback that's going to lead to the Super Bowl, I'm like, yeah, I don't see this. Like, you know, Dan Campbell's obviously, a, you know, Dan Campbell's a motivating coach. He's, you know, high tempo, all that. I got it. Like, I, I, I like that he's into it. And by the way, even a division champion would be something. But like, let's, let's just slow our roll right now. Because now I look at the standings, I go, well, Minnesota, although they surprisingly gagged against the Broncos, should have won that game. Dobbs has given them a bit of a lift. They do have a terrific defense. So the only two games back right now, the Lions and the Packers now five and six. So I'm like, let's just let's just slow down here on Detroit all of a sudden being the beast of the NFC, much less their division. So that that's still up for grabs here. But yeah, it's uh, it was disappointing to see. I think for the Lions fans because this is the one day everyone gets to watch the Lions, and you always watch the Cowboys. And it got so bad for the Lions. I remember when I was at ESPN one time. Our talking point was, can we just get rid of the Lions on Thanksgiving? Like, why does it always – I know it's tradition, yeah. but can we just change tradition? Why? But, but inevitably, this is what it is, and inevitably we have to watch them lose. But at least it was a, a close game there towards the end. But the final score was deceiving, as you know. It really was uh, the Packers show today. They jumped out to the early lead, and uh, Jordan Love looked great. Three straight games, over 300 yards passing, two or more touchdowns. He's been excellent for them recently. Uh, I'm curious. I don't I actually know the answer to this, despite uh, us talking on the airwaves for so long. Um, have you guys gone to celebrating American Thanksgiving? You're obviously correct in your assertion that the Canadian is the superior of the holidays. But have you guys, since becoming full-time Americans and spending your time in the U.S., have you started celebrating U.S. Thanksgiving? Unfortunately, we've had to adopt the way of the land. Yes, in October, <laughs> the real Thanksgiving, I'll, I'll at least have a turkey sandwich and you know have some sort of celebration by myself. But yeah, this this is just easier because the kids are off from school, and obviously everyone's into it—the whole uh, pageantry and such. So yeah, we generally do this. Although this Thanksgiving is unique because my wife's actually out of town with her sister, so we did our Thanksgiving a little bit early. So we already had our uh, our turkey. The dark meat was great. A little bit of stuffing. And to be honest, Logan, I'm not crazy about the rest of the sides. I mean, my kids like the stuffing and stuff, and you know, a little mashed potatoes goes yeah. a long way. But I, I just really like the dark meat, and I of course like the dessert. So as long as you give me some pumpkin pie with a side of apple uh, <laughs> or maybe apple pie or ice cream, I'm good to go. <laughs> good to know. Uh, I'm with you. The, the turkey's all where it's at for me, and I'm a big pumpkin pie guy myself. So uh, we do have to talk some uh, some legit storylines happening in baseball right now, and it's good timing to have you on. Uh, on Thursdays like it always is because uh, Blue Jays fans in Calgary and Toronto all across as apparently you've been on the Sportsnet uh, radio network tour as you always are uh, going crazy over this Bo Bichette rumor and uh, connection to the Cubs I know your pal John Morosi's been on this a bit as well what do you make of this whole uh, idea because it sure seemed like for a long time that Bo Bichette was going to be a Blue Jay for a very long time yeah this Stunning story. I mean, if you said to me the Blue Jays are going to have some major changes this offseason, I would welcome that. I would say, okay, you've had a couple of years here of back-to-back playoff underachievers and unable to get out of the first round. That's, that's very, very frustrating. But I would have thought the answer would then be trade Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's the guy that you don't have signed to a major long-term deal. The clock is ticking. You have two years left of Vlad. And you can get a lot for him. He's you know a young player in his, his you know, mid-20s who could be a star in this thing for the next 10 years. And he's been a very good offensive player for the Jays, but hasn't been great with the exception of one season. So if you just said to me, hey, the Jays are going to put a star on the block, I'm like, well, obviously it's Vlad Jr. Then to see my buddy J.P. Morosi's story, that no, it's apparently Bo Bichette is being dangled the Cubs. I was flabbergasted. 
Now, it's one thing for a team to dangle a player and to make him available, and then they can always snatch him back. They're just saying, hey, we're just curious what the market might be like. But to even have that conversation with Bo Bichette, I was stunned because I thought he's going to be the linchpin of this team. He'll be the face of this franchise for years to come, and they bought out his arbitration-eligible years, so he's getting paid the next couple of years, a good salary, and then they can try to sign to an eight-year, ten-year deal, whatever it is. But to start to say, wow, let's just see what the market is for Bo, I was genuinely surprised. And, I mean, unless the return is so wonderful, I don't necessarily think it's the right move. I mean, he's a guy that plays almost every day. I know he was banged up a little bit last year with injuries, but generally durable, puts up numbers, was great late in the season, brings intangibles, leadership, et cetera. Like, he does everything I want in a star player. So I, I don't necessarily understand the logic of why to deal Bo, unless Chicago is the one coming calling and saying, we're going to give you – all that in the moon because the Cubs are clearly aggressive in wanting to win. They don't sign a manager and Craig Council from the Brewers for $8 million a year unless they really want to make some moves here. So unless they're calling the Jays and telling Shapiro and Atkins, we'll give you whatever you want. Seriously, we're going to make this happen. We want Bo. I guess you'll at least listen to the conversation, but it better be a great offer. Well, and the, the, Seemingly report, too, that they wouldn't play him at shortstop. They've obviously got Dansby Swanson there, but to move him to third base as well, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of moving pieces if you're the Cubs here, and I guess uh, I would imagine the transition. I I wouldn't know, but I imagine the transition from shortstop to third base wouldn't be impossible, but, I mean, if you're going to be spending big bucks, I wouldn't – I don't know that it feels okay to be messing around with positions and asking guys to do things they haven't done at the major league level. Completely agree. I mean, Swanson's been, I believe, a gold glover. I mean, he's terrific defensively. And even though this year with Chicago, his offensive numbers were down a little bit and he was banged up, he plays really well at defense. I, think, I haven't looked at it, but generally I would think Swanson's the better defender at short. So you're right. You're going to make a move to get Bo and then say, hey, by the way, how do you feel about playing third base? I mean, most guys who play shortstop have a real love and aptitude for it and are very reluctant to go to a different position. There are exceptions. Fernando Tatis Jr., my man Nando, got moved from shortstop to right field and won a gold glove. Like, he was outstanding in right field because he's such a great athlete. But that's also a guy who just got dinged with a lengthy and very notorious PED suspension. So they really had no card to play. When they signed Xander Bogart, they said, all right, he's the shortstop. Machado's the third baseman. Hassan Kim, who's a gold glover at second base. Nando, you're going to right. You're going to like it. There's nothing you could do. In the case of Bo, you're right. If, if the Cubs trade from the first words are, hey, how do you feel about third base? I don't know how he'd react to that. So uh, there's definitely more to this story. And, uh, again, my first thought as a Blue Jays fan, I, I don't want to see Bo go anywhere unless the offer is so stupendous that they can't say no. And I wanted to dive into this extra layer that, that John Morosi put out there as well because – They've got the Cubs and the Jays sort of in this, I don't know if we're talking front runners, Virk, for Shohei Otani, but at least teams that we expect will have kicked the tires and probably talked to Otani's camp. And John makes an interesting point that, you know, maybe a deal of this size could swing a a camp like Otani's one way or another when looking at both of these franchises. Do you think it would be that kind of magnitude of a deal that, you know, someone like Shohei Otani goes – you know, hey, I was considering the Blue Jays, but now they've made this deal with the Cubs. I absolutely think I could go to Toronto. Is it is it that kind of deal we'd be talking about? 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think when it comes to Otani, and the story was Alvin Gonzalez of ESPN, I think uh, a week or two ago, was saying that Otani could be open to a short-term deal to hire AAV. So if we do the numbers on this, the rumors were 10 years for 500, 12 years for 550. That's generally the numbers we were hearing as far as the long-term contract. And for those numbers, you're looking at Dodgers, Giants, Mariners, maybe Rangers. I think that's yeah. it. Now, if also it becomes a short-term AAV, you go, well, hey, the Blue Jays could be interested, the Yankees could be interested, the Mets could be interested, the Braves could be interested. If it's three years, like three years, 180 makes sense to me because you could say, well, $60 million a year, yeah, that's a lot. We'd like that AAV to be around 45 or 50, but hey, it's Otani. For three years, we'll overpay. And then all of a sudden, that, that does make things enticing. If you tell me the Blue Jays have a larger framework here, deal Bochette, but get back not only prospects but every impact players and then make a crazy run at Otani in a short-term deal, well, then I love it. So, you know, obviously these front offices are a lot smarter than me, and they're trying to play chess when everyone else is playing checkers. They're thinking three moves ahead. So if this is just one part of a larger strategy, then I'd love to see it because I think just at face value, dealing Bo doesn't feel like a step forward. I have to watch that going forward. I know it had a lot of people around Toronto and, and anywhere there's Blue Jays fans sort of buzzing because that was not a name we were expecting to be talking about in this off season and one that we'll definitely have to monitor going forward. Uh, we did see a deal happen between the Mariners and the D-backs. Arizona was you know, pretty aggressive last season. We know the Jays and them made up uh, for a trade last off season, and obviously uh, worked out pretty well for the Diamondbacks heading to the World Series. Uh, and now they make a big move back on Tuesday. They got Eugenio Suarez from the Mariners. Thoughts on the, the Diamondbacks being aggressive coming off of their World Series appearance? They're doing because you, know, you win 84 games and nobody expects anything of you. And all of a sudden you make it to the World Series. Well, you know, I think the first focus is let's try to do more. You know, how do we get back to this process? And with a guy like Kevin Longoria, you know, it clearly was aged and, uh, you know, he's had a wonderful career but wasn't able to have great production most recently. So you acquire Eugenio Suarez. And he's a guy who's had some good years in the past in the National League. You know, I think with Seattle wasn't as strong as he was with Cincinnati. But he can put up some good power numbers. And with third baseman, it's one thing to pick it, but if you can offer some power at a corner infield position, that's something that can be valued as well. So I think it's yet another sign that the NL West is going to be a real challenge. You know, the Dodgers have won the division 10 of the last 11 years. San Francisco had that great year a couple of years ago, 107 wins, and they're trying to get back and, and sign a major player like an Otani. They obviously whipped on Judge and Correa. But then there's the D-backs. They're like, hey, you know what? You don't want to give us any love. That's fine. By the way, we made the World Series. And then you got the Padres with all their collection of talent. Who knows what's going to happen? Maybe Juan Soto gets traded because they've got financial obligations. But I like the sign from Arizona. You know, this, this is them saying, hey, we're not just a flash in the pan. We didn't just get lucky. We're a good team. We're going to add to that. And Suarez is a good pickup. And it's not like they're an old team either, Virg. Like It's not just like a, a flash in the pan. I mean, I don't think it would be crazy to say, like you mentioned, they were an 84-team win last year. I don't think it would be crazy to sit there and think, okay, I could see the Diamondbacks trying to push to be a 90-win team and be back in the postseason next year. 100%. Like, when you look at their pitching staff, I love Zach Gallon, Merrill Kelly. Those guys are not like 37, 38. They're very much in the prime of their career, and you can supplement them with other starters and – and their bullpen was just terrific. I mean, come, come postseason, you know, Paul Seawald was great for them. Kevin Ginkle was fantastic. Those two guys in the eighth and ninth were absolutely shut down. Of course, Seawald came over from Seattle in that trade. 
And as far as their position players, Corbin Carroll's a rookie. You know, he's, he's a yep. rookie of the year, and he's their best position player. So he's going to be great for the next five, six, seven, eight years. Gabriel Moreno is a very young player. Second season, came over from the Jays. He was fantastic. Lourdes Gurriel is in his 20s, came over from the Jays with the all-star team. You can tell Marte's a guy in his 20s. So you're right. This is a young team. You're just adding to it with a veteran like Suarez. And, and I would expect, yeah, they will get better. 84 wins to 87, 88, 90 wins. That's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. And that will definitely put them back in the playoff picture again. Uh, how big of an impact are we expecting uh, Yamamoto to be when he hits uh, MLB roster this offseason? I know uh, everybody will be expecting big things because of, obviously, Shohei Otani and his presence in Major League Baseball now, Adnan. But from the people you've talked to and the conversations that you guys have had about him, what kind of player are we expecting to get here as the next big-time name coming out of Japanese baseball? Well, he's just 25 years of age, and yet the guy's an absolute stud. Um, looking at his pitch selection, he throws a great fastball and a great splitter. So many of these Japanese pitchers are known for their great splitters. And the fact that he's hitting the market now, it speaks volumes with the fact why he's so coveted because of his age. You know, it's one thing if a Japanese pitcher's coming when he's 31, 32. You know, people laugh at the fact Senga's winning rookie of the year. And it's, you know, like, he's 22 years old. Or he didn't win, obviously, he was nominated. He lost to Carroll. But in the case of Yamamoto, like, of course I give him a 10-year deal. Like, if you're telling me this guy's the best pitcher available from Japan and he was great in their version of the World Series, put up excellent numbers in the regular season, durable, all the rest of it, I'm like, yeah. Like, all of a sudden, he becomes the top guy available because, you know, the other starting pitchers available, you know, Aaron Nola's now off the market because the Phillies gave him $172 million and locked him up, which I think was a smart move for them. Hadn't inflated the ERA in the regular season, but great in the postseason and certainly – well-liked and beloved by that franchise. So he's their number two next to Wheeler. So aside from that, there's not a ton of options available. Yamamoto really is the guy, unless you want to give $150 million to Blake Snell, who's coming up winning his second signing award. So Yamamoto is going to be getting, they're saying, could be $200 million, plus the posting fee, which is like 35 to $40 million. Uh, but as Steve Phillips said to me, my colleague and friend from MLB Network Radio, he goes, honestly, $35 million is a cup of coffee to Steve Cohen, the Mets owner. Because I'm, yeah. I'm not exaggerating. Like, it is, it, is, it is a rounding error. Like, he couldn't care less. $35 million, sure, whatever. If I only give this guy $200 million and you pair Yamamoto with Senga, that could be a very potent Japanese one-two atop your rotation. So he's definitely going to get a lot of money, and I think right now the Mets are the favorite to get him. And a guy like Steve Cohen, if he's going to spend, you're not going to outspend him, period. Uh, a couple other things to hit on with our Thursday regular Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, and of course the Cinephile Podcast. Uh, football today, Friday, and then you got to wait till Sunday. Good matchup, though. Your Eagles got a tough skid down the stretch here. I know the Bills are just six and five, but that's no pushover coming in to take on your Eagles after that big win against the Chiefs. Yeah, this is part of the gauntlet right now for the Eagles. I mean, it's just it's insane how tough the schedule is. After, you know, pretty easy sledding most of the way, it's like everywhere I look, I'm like, these are, these are challenging games. So there's the Cowboys, the Chiefs, the Bills, the 49ers, the Cowboys again. So we certainly have got our, our work cut out for us. But that game was unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I'm incredulous that we won. I mean, to, cool. to be down 10 at the half, to have only scored seven points, and then pitch a shutout in the second half. Like, that's incredible to me. Like, that, that is a classic bend-but-don't-break defense. And Fletcher Cox, one of my all-time favorite Eagles, Vintage performance. You know, a couple of times you saw him with Mahomes in the run. He couldn't quite tackle him, but 
He kept having pressure on him. I thought Byard was great for safety. And, of course, you got to get a little lucky as well, right? Kelsey, the fumble, that's unexpected. And the fact that Valdez Scaling doesn't make that catch, which should have been a touchdown, which should have given Kansas City the lead and probably the win. I mean, that, that definitely went Eagles' way. But give Philly credit for their resolve. Hurts to Devontae Smith, that 45-yard pass, you know, inside the five, set up the touchdown. Uh, DeAndre Swift had a couple of big runs. So to win that game at Arrowhead when they were an underdog at two and a half points to me was massive. Because now you're 9-1, and one, you have a two-game edge now potentially in the Lions, depending on their fare against the Bills. But, but you're right, there's no let-up. And for Buffalo, really Jekyll and Hyde, on paper, they should be one of the best teams in the AFC. But in reality, they're 6-5. and five, And that really surprising loss uh, against the Broncos that they had. So I, I don't really know what to expect, honestly, Logo, but Philly's going to play tough and it's going to be close. You know, <laughs> They're 9-1 and one, if they've only blown out like two teams. Yeah. Every game feels like it's within a touchdown. So it's going to be a close game, but uh, I'll be watching it 425 on CBS here, my local affiliates, and uh, hopefully we can pull it out. Uh, quickly on the Chiefs side of things, I heard a lot of people talking about this, and I, I don't know if they go back and, and redo the trade if they're if, if they're the Chiefs has worked out pretty well for them past that. But, man, doesn't it feel like that offense misses a guy like Tyreek Hill now more than ever and, you know, trying the – second round or late first round wide receiver thing just hasn't like enough picking up Kadarius Tonys and all these other guys. And it's like, it's probably time to go back and get Patrick Mahomes, a a legit number one receiver again. Right. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. Like it's, it's amazing watching that game because all you really worry about is Jason Kelsey. As long as Kelsey's covered relatively, it should be okay. And I, I haven't looked at the numbers on pro football focus, but you know, Kelsey's an A Mahomes is an A plus. The rest of those guys have got to be seized, right? Like, there's like Valdez Scaling. The fact he was targeted three oh. times and wasn't able to make a catch, like, this guy's brutal. Like, it's, I can't imagine what Mahomes must be saying to Andy Reid privately, but, you know, <laughs> go get me a supporting cast that's worthy of my talents. I think Pacheco's probably a B, B minus. Like, again, he's not a stud. He's good. He's not great. So, yeah. uh, I'm with you, man. When they had Tyreek Hill, it was pick your poison. Either Hill or Kelsey was going to devastate you. And I think oftentimes, I think teams should just pay up when they got their guy. Like, the Titans. A.J. Brown has more receiving yards than, the, than all the Titans receivers combined. That's how great he's been for Philadelphia. And they could have had him. He's 26 years old. Like, A.J. Brown is the prime of his career. Thank God they traded him. It was an awesome trade for Howie Roseman and the Eagles. But generally, I feel like when you got your guys, you keep them. So, I, I don't understand the, the thought process there with Tyreek Hill because he's been fantastic in Miami. He's clearly been Tua's best friend. And, yeah, it's the Chiefs. No matter how the season goes, we'll look to upgrade at receiver at some point. Yeah, it's just a strange one. And I get having a great quarterback and making guys better. But, I mean, ask Jalen Hurts. Who would you rather throw to, Kadarius Tony or, or A.J. Brown? I think the answer is, is 10 out of 10 who they'd rather throw to. And, I mean, spend spend the money on the guy. I just It, it seems very weird to me. And I not that I, I feel bad for the, the Chiefs. I, I cheer for the Chargers, as you know, and um, would love to do any of that kind of winning. But just a, a very strange thing to do to ask your – your top-end Hall of Fame potential quarterback to to deal with some of the bumps he's throwing to right now. Yeah, especially because the window is always smaller than you think. You can't just say, because we have Mahomes, we're going to be great for the next five to ten years. He may be great for the next five to ten years, but things happen, man. In the, in the franchise era we live in, the salary cap era, it's tough to keep your defense together. It's always tough to keep your offensive line, defensive line healthy and happy, so... To me, you have to look at it like it's a three-year window, and and you have to maximize those opportunities and say every Super Bowl is going to be special and meaningful. And, yeah, I got it. They won last year against Philly. 
But anytime you can upgrade your roster, you should be doing so. And it was it was definitely glaring in that game against the Eagles. And speaking of your charges, I feel bad. I feel like there's been more. I don't want to quite say backlash, but more frustration towards the Chargers this year in Herbert. Maybe it's just Bill Simmons. But people said, hey, for such a great quarterback, you've you got to be better than four and six. I'm like, yeah, but it's not him. He is great. No. He needs an upgrade, right? It's it's insane. There's a graphic going around, uh, Adnan, from last week. Uh, he's put up the most points of any Chargers quarterback, and I think it's even uh, an, close to an NFL record in their first four or five seasons, and it's a ridiculous amount of points. And the defense – in that same time for the Chargers has given up the same amount of points. They do. Oh. Like if he if the D, he hasn't lost a game in a Chargers uniform, Adnan, when the defense has kept the other team to less than twenty points, he hasn't lost a game. Wow, I mean that that is an indictment if ever there was when I get to team's defense. Twenty points, like once in a while, you got to be able to shut a team down. Fourteen points, seventeen points. You know Herbert will get you a win, and if you give up twenty five, like okay, he can still outscore them. But that's going to be depressing. I mean, I can't imagine that locker room when you go, hey, we've got this generational talent, and then this sad sack defense right now letting us down. Oh. It, is, uh, it is an eternal circle of, uh, of grief having a, a defensive head coach that can't stop anybody on defense. Really excited to see Baltimore on Sunday night. That should be a lot of fun. Really, really <laughs> looking forward to that. Can't see that going poorly. Uh, before we get out of here, Burke, uh, I have to congratulate you. Yesterday you guys dropped the 300th episode of Cinephile. How cool is that, pal? It's great, Logo. I, I, I'm so grateful, man. I'm so appreciative that you're always listening and, and people are listening out there. But it's not without some controversy because what happened was in Apple Podcasts, when I went just to check the episode's, you know, at the, at the bottom it says see all, and then parentheses it was 300. So I just said casually to Cody, I think it's our 300, but I wasn't sure. So after the episode yesterday, I went back and looked at our 200th episode, and I counted since then. And this week's episode, according to that, arithmetic will be 297. So I don't know who's right, my math or Apple Podcasts, but we're, we're either at 300 or 297. But it's been a great journey, and uh, I'm thrilled we've made it, man. It's been awesome. Uh, you know I love it, man. Uh, keep up the great work that you do with uh, with MLB Network and everything else, and keep up the great work on Cinephile, man. I, I love listening to it. It's one of my favorites, and uh, you just chat is one of my favorites during the week as well, pal. Enjoy uh, U.S. Thanksgiving. Enjoy some time with the boys, pal, and uh, we'll chat with you next week, hey? Give him thanks. You always love I appreciate you, brother. Take care. Take care, my man. Adnan for joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon uh, for our friends, uh, the MLB Network, NHL Network, and, of course, the Cinephile Podcast. If you're a huge movie nerd like me, uh, you can check out uh, what says their 300th episode but might be their 297th. Who really knows? Um, Either way, if you're a movie uh, buff like me, you can check that out uh, everywhere you get your podcast. Quick reminder, we're here at 9309 McLeod Trail South uh, at Adrenaline Source for Sports. Our pals getting set for their massive Black Friday sales event tomorrow. They've got some deals already on today. The store is buzzing uh, with people because there's deals on uh, Saks and Stance uh, apparel brands, 25% off Yeti items, 30% off Pit Viper sunglasses, Sherwood products are 25% off as well, and then you can get a head start on looking at what you're going to come and buy tomorrow because uh, there's going to be some great deals, up to 50% off some of their hockey brands, sticks, protective gear, baseball gear. You need to get geared up for the upcoming baseball season. You can do it all here at Adrenaline Source for Sports. Make sure you're first in line tomorrow. They're opening up a little early. They're going to open up at 9 a.m. They're going to give away $3,200 in gift certificates to the first 53 
through 55 people through the door. That's one per family. And the first 15 people will receive $100. So, again, doors open at 9 a.m. here at Adrenaline Source for Sports, 9309 McLeod Trail South. If you come by, say hi. Uh, Azam is here as well. He'll show you around the store personally uh, and help you with any purchases you need to make. And then Pat will be here later, the real star of the show that you uh, want to see. And you can ask all of your Flames questions while he's live on the air. Uh, you could do that as well. Uh, we're, of course, coming to you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios in downtown Calgary as well, where my uh, outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, are this afternoon. When we come back, we'll kick off Hour 2 of the program, going uh, to Toronto to check in with our pal Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. He was on the desk last night. He caught the Flames and the Predators, as well as a good chunk of the other 14 games going on across the National Hockey League. We'll dive into all of it. With Sammy Cosentino to kick off Hour 2, it's next on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.